Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, the first Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And Andy, are you ready to wrestle? <laughs> Today we are talking about Minute 21, which begins with a smart Alec Gilmore and ends with a monologuing Colonel Phillips. Joining us on the show today and all week, uh, one of our favorites, we have Father David Mowry back again for another season. Welcome, Father. Father David! Father David Mowry reporting for duty, <laughs> sirs. You're standing in line and you wait until somebody speaks to you. Yes, sir. <laughs> wow, uh, so thank you so much for having me back. I'm so thrilled to, to be here for Captain America. <laughs> yeah, and conveniently, like, this is what I love. You know, I send out the list of all the minutes for people to pick, and you are so fast. You you know, like, exactly the minutes that you want to pick. Like, in Thor, it was, like, the perfect week to talk about Thor. And this week, it's like, oh, of course, this is the perfect week to have Father David uh, talking about Captain America. Well, honestly, I, I, ha I was spoiled for choice because there was still a lot of availability. And I think you could take any five minutes in the first hour or so of Captain America and have such a great conversation about so many themes. I was torn between these five minutes and the, the next five minutes because they're, like, they're both so good. But I love me a montage. So I, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't say no to a whole week of a training montage. And also, as we've learned, whenever Father Maori watches any movie, he's already picking the five minutes for which he will guest on some future <laughs> as yet undetermined movie my minute podcast. All right. I, I'll, I'll own up that during during you know, Thor Love and Thunder just released at the time of this recording. And I was thinking about, OK, so which of these five minutes right. in a movie about gods would I want to talk about? We'll see in, in 27 about seven yeah, years. Yeah. In about 50 years when we get to that. Just just a little bit of time, yes. But you know, yeah, that gives you plenty of time to think about it, right? Well, I'll have nice, succinct notes by that point. Or a War and Peace-length tome. Oh, my One goodness. of the two. Right, right. We might just have to narrow it down to a minute. Yeah, that's right. Oh, you, that's it. That, that'd be fair. That'd be fair. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we are back in uh, Camp Lehigh. This is the practice field. And uh, we're, we're joining in. Uh, last we saw as uh, we we had a snarky line getting delivered to uh, to our lovely agent Pe Peggy Carter, uh, and this is Gilmore Hodge. We hadn't really seen him last week. We kind of, I mean, we come in on him. The shot actually starts mm -hmm. right on him, but he and and the soldier standing next to him are both kind of looking behind them and laughing and something. So you can't really tell who it is. It's not until this minute starts we really get to know this is Gilmore Hodge, as we find out. And, of course, he's being snarky, and he's, you know, he's calling, uh, you know, Agent Carter Queen Victoria because of her accent, and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Uh, let's, let's just start a little bit about the interaction between these two before we dig into the characters a bit more. Uh, what did you think about the way that this, uh, this scene is set up? It's always important to set up your bullies as complete heels as soon as possible. We, we have a lot of story to tell here. So we, we really need to establish that Hodge is just the worst. And there, what, I, what I was amused by and just watching this scene was how willing Hodge is to completely disrespect authority figures because Agent Carter comes in and she is clearly in charge. She has no trepidation. She is not a shrinking violet. She's not like, oh, all these men, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. No, Peggy Carter is here. She is in charge. And there is immediate snark. There's immediate pushback 
from Hodge on her accent, on her sex, on everything about her. And I would expect this kind of uh, this kind of snark amongst the guys in the barracks off of the, the training field. But then I remembered these are all draftees. These are all recruits. These are not seasoned military people. These are civilians who are being trained for the first time. So they're carrying over a lot of uh, <laughs> less than disciplined <laughs> habits into the army. And it's really like coming in with a British person, too, which is like completely, yeah. I, I suppose, unexpected. You know, you, you kind of go to boot camp and you expect, I don't know, maybe it's just because of the era I grew up in, but I'm expecting kind of a full metal jacket sort of thing with Ar army, Arlie Ermy yelling at me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Arlie Ermy. Nice. Just love it when you make those those name pulls so quickly. I think that I think those are the two things: the gender and the and the nationality are the things that in a movie that just oozes patriotism and testosterone. Mm -hmm. It's important to have this sequence set up, and that we get such delight on the part of Agent Carter that she gets to punch someone in the face oh, so man. quickly. Oh, yeah. The way she <laughs> adjusts no her shoulders when, uh, you know, when she is called out, uh, you know, by the, the voice off screen is just delightful. She, yeah, she is fantastic. And she, she handles all this well. And uh, there's actually an a, additional line in the script that was, you know, is kind of cute. You can see why they didn't need it. She actually asks Hodge if he knows anything about jujitsu when she asks him to kind of step forward or something. Okay, with one well, of that, his feet. that was going to be my question. Why yeah. put the right foot forward? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a strange little moment that was, uh, again, it was scripted. And I guess they just decided that they didn't need it because mm -hmm. she, she says, are you familiar with the art of jujitsu wherein your opponent's size and momentum are used against him? And, and then, of course, she had put one leg, um, forward as well and mm. and so then you know but and then she punches him so the whole thing still happens she punches him and mm. then she uh, you know and when hodge says no she punches him and she says neither am i and she just kind of keeps going on odd little bit odd little bit i don't know what i think about that about that addition i like the way it is first of all i don't need any additional setup of her prowess she's obvi obviously in charge she's wearing a better uniform um and and the fact that she's able to execute such a solid punch i don't think we need it and i also think it diminishes her her abilities by saying i'm not either i think that's a lousy that's a lousy addition oh yeah that that i would be yeah. on board if it was just straight demonstration of superior martial right. arts knowledge right, 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 that Peggy Carter knows what she is about, not just in terms of being an SSR agent, but also in terms of combat. But yeah, under to have that throwaway joke at the end. Yeah, I think that was a good cut. Good cut. The other thing that is an interesting element that's going on here, you see when she first approaches in last week's uh, uh, in the minute right before this one, that she's with uh, like kind of an assistant who has a, a box of uh, clipboards with papers on them, and oh, they're yeah. actually passing these out. And that it's actually scripted. And this is something, it's kind of dark, I didn't realize. But I was like, I, I wonder if this is something that they did in the military. Uh, she says, to begin with, I shall need you to complete this document. And Steve looks at it, and it's his last will and testament. And so all of these soldiers have to actually fill out their last will and testament. Uh, very wow. interesting. I mean, they, they obviously are still doing it. We just are left without that little detail. Does that do you feel like we needed that? Does it give you a sense of just kind of mortality in the scope of the military and everything? That raises some some of the the like world building questions I have about this whole setup. So we have Colonel 
Philip's line at the end about how we have good men and they're going to get a lot better. And he has this whole spiel that continues on through the rest of the week. Why draftees? Why are they using the absolutely fresh guys they've just pulled in? Because they're mixed in with Steve. And there's no, they're doing all the base, like the ropes course and everything else we'll see in the montage later on this week. So it gives me a sense that these are all guys who are equally untrained in terms of the military discipline. So the last will and testament thing kind of tries to, that would be something you would do to scare volunteers. That's something you do to make it clear, like, all right, you've you've volunteered for this, but you don't really understand the stakes. We're going to make it clear what the stakes are. To do it with draftees kind of communicates a callousness on the part of, of the government that you are all research subjects and we don't really care what happens to you, but we're going to cover our butts and you know make sure that we go through all the motions yeah. with this. Well, and I, I don't know if they are draftees, though, because I know like they were going to like the soldiers were going to enlistment centers. Now they are mm-hmm. potentially draftees into this super secret <laughs> super soldier program that mm-hmm. is going on like and that's that's something that i think is is curious because and i'm curious kind of your opinions on this from both of you you know we know erskine and uh, it seems carter and uh, colonel phillips are all kind of aware of this uh, program that they're doing i mean mm-hmm. it's not like you know when when colonel phillips and we'll talk about him here in a bit uh, but when he comes up, he says, I can see you're breaking in the candidates, which is, I mean, normally they'd say the mm. recruits or the new privates mm, or something mm. like that. But this is clearly a group of soldiers that they're looking at to potentially draft into this super soldier program. Okay. And so well, and then the next words he, we hear him say are strategic scientific reserve. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, like that's right as the montage begins. So we do get the sense, I think, immediately that this is a special thing. But and Mm. and I think to uh, to Father Maori's point, it's like they are freshly (laughs) signed up, you know, privates like these are people just going into boot camp. Is it does it seem strange that like they aren't people who have been already serving for because I mean, you know, I don't know. I've seen other movies and this is how I know the military, how the military works because of all the movies I've seen when they're recruiting people. You're for a these danger to yourself and others. <laughs> I totally am. It's the worst. But when they're recruiting for these sorts of things, it's people who have already proven themselves in the field of battle. And so it's so interesting that we have this doctor who is basically looking for somebody who is fresh and hasn't been broken in at all. I mean, does it seem weird? No, that actually is on brand for me. I mean, I think that makes mm. sense that they're looking for the weakest links to see if the super soldier program really can can do in the universe of Captain America. It makes sense to me that they would look for the weakest ones like and weak doesn't mean physically weak in mm-hmm. all sense. Like, obviously, we have Hodge right next to, you know, uh, Steve, mm-hmm. which is, you know, and they are weak in two different, completely different ways. Okay, that that's something I want to touch on. I think um, on Friday, that's a good conversation point to come back to because we hear more about what Dr. Erskine is looking for mm-hmm. from the program. And I think that that's a good place to talk about what it is they're trying to do here and what all is happening. I think for now, maybe maybe it's the fact that the whole war effort is still kind of ginning up, that they're 
1942, they're still in the relatively early phases of the U.S.'s participation. And this is a new program because we, you know, just to bridge this minute to tomorrow's minute there, we learned this is an allied initiative, the the Scientific Strategic Reserve. So everything is kind of new and slapdash. And whenever there is an international collaboration, Everyone involved is like, well, we're not going to give our best people to this because we want our best people for our things. So we're we're going to find other people to put into this shared project, which is a great point. So not only are they looking for the weak ones, but they're also only getting the weak ones. <laughs> First kind of. Why do I keep getting all these people? Keep getting this garbage. It's so much garbage. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, okay. Let's let's backtrack a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about uh, where we are and these people that we're meeting. So first off, we didn't talk about this last week because we were on all sorts of crazy tangents last week. Um, Camp Lehigh. This is uh, the location we are. We did mention that it was filmed in in Slough, I believe. Right, Pete? Is that mm-hmm. what we did Slough. I think we're going. We stuck uh, on Slough. Yeah. Yeah. Black in Black Park Country Park, which is right uh, near Pinewood Studios. This is kind of this big mm-hmm. area. And um, this it's really is really convenient that they would st- they would actually have such a military operation right by a movie studio. <laughs> Isn't it great? That's Especially so one that looks like it the, it's the 40s. It's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Great. It's pristine. Um, Camp Lehigh is where Steve goes to train in the comics, but it's mm-hmm. very funny in the comics because you kind of meet Steve. We've talked about this before, but when he first walks into the room to get dosed with the super soldier serum. And and then it's like this secret identity thing. And so he goes to boot camp after becoming Captain America. But Captain America is a secret identity. And he's kind of this bumbling soldier, Steve Rogers, in the military who then like at night he puts on his Captain America outfit and goes and fights. It's it's kind of silly. Um, Camp Lehigh in the comics is just outside of Arlington, Virginia. I can't remember if they actually say New Jersey in this film. I feel like they actually say it's outside of New York or somewhere in New York. But New Jersey, I know it comes up in Winter Soldier. Um, I think they established, I think by now it's established to be in New Jersey because of the Miss Marvel series. Yeah, all the TV and stuff. Yeah, it, exactly. I think retconned, it has officially mm-hmm. been New Jersey, but I, I, I feel like it may be outside of in it. Winter Soldier, in Winter Soldier, Black Widow and Captain America have to drive for a while from Arlington National Cemetery, I mean the Triskelion, in order to get to Camp Lehigh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Um, uh, just as another note, in the comics, this camp, when he starts, when he joins, uh, this is actually where he be- he meets Bucky Barnes, the, quote, mascot of the regiment. It's very funny in the comics. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. about this. Oh, so I know. Wrong. It's funny. In the comics, uh, this was the 1965 <laughs> retelling of Captain America. They reveal that Bucky's GI father had died in training, and then the fort adopted the orphaned boy as the camp mascot, which I just think is so strange. It's such oh, a, 1960s such a oh, comic books. I know. Oh, so, so silly. What's And this is also what's great. Bucky, when um, he... You know, he meets Steve and then he comes to visit him at his tent at night to say hi. And he catches Captain or he catches Steve putting on his Captain America outfit. And what Steve says to him, this is just like, again, the comics of the era. You little rascal. I had a tan your hide. I guess you got me dead to rights. I am Captain America. From now on, we must both share the secret together. That means you're my partner, Bucky. 
It's a lot to put on a kid, but the right. tracks for comic books of the era. Exactly. Well, you know, every kid wanted that. So yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I want to be sworn to secrecy. Oh, I want to help Captain America. Exactly, oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, now what you said about Steve Rogers, the bumbling soldier, there's a part of me that wants an alternate version of this movie that has that sequence of events that the super soldier serum happens first and then he goes to the training camp and we have this kind of oh don't know my own strength kind of comedy routine <laughs> where he climbs the rope wall and just tears the whole thing down and just kind of stands there kind of flummoxed like oh what do i do with this yeah yeah and one that actually takes leander dini and shrinks sebastian stan <laughs> so that Sebastian Stan is more comic allegiant, uh, you know, right. to that portrayal. A very scrawny Bucky. Yeah. <laughs> but with Sebastian Stan's head. That's what I want. <laughs> they have the technology. They can do it. Come on. Come on. Um, there is a four-issue limited uh, storyline called The Adventures of Captain America. It came out in 91. And a lot of this story, in fact, our character that we have here of Gilmore actually came from that line um it's a very brief character he's only in it uh, he's only in the comics in that particular four issue series and apparently i i didn't read through the whole thing but apparently at the end of it he ends up uh turning and becoming a nazi and i don't know if it's just because he is so no, irritated you don't say <laughs> with steve yeah you'd never guess the bully joins uh, the nazis <laughs> But yeah, Gilmore Hodge was created by Kevin McGuire and Fabian uh, Nicieza. I'm not exactly sure how you say uh, Fabian's last name. I am sorry, Fabian. Um, And apparently his nickname was Goose. So, uh, And then, of course, I should mention Mm -hmm. Lex, the best last name for somebody in the military, Lex Shrapnel is playing Gilmore Hodge. Um, fantastic. That's his real name. His, his real yeah. name is Lex Shrapnel. They 100% should real. not have renamed him for the movie. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Just left it, right? That is more a comic name than Gilmore yeah. Hodge yeah. is. That is an amazing name. Yeah. Holy. I'm going to be thinking about that the rest of the week. <laughs> no kidding. If you I'm come back gonna... next season as Father Shrapnel, <laughs> we're going to have that word. No, I haven't stopped thinking about Lex <laughs> Shrapnel. Do you think, would you need, like, it named his kids like Barbed Wire Shrapnel? I would. No kidding. You got to come up with some good good names. Yeah. Oh, rogue shrapnel. (laughs) (laughs) Rogue shrapnel. Um, You know, I I will tell you his IMDb known for because I can't imagine either of you follow Lex Shrapnel. Although he does, Uh, I will now. Yeah, (laughs) sign me up. Uh, He does lots of TV. He's most known for this is his number one. And then the film Mm -hmm. Extinction from 2018. Mm -hmm. And then his first film, K-19, The Widowmaker from 2002. Last but not least is the TV series Medici. And uh, from 2016. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, he's somebody who keeps all of those very, things. very busy. Well, and this is something we're going to find over and over in this film is you're going to find a lot of Brits because he's a British actor yeah. in hmm. these parts. Because, again, they went over there to film mm-hmm. just to have kind of that that European look since all of this takes place in the European theater. So well, I wouldn't have been able to guess he affects that vague East Coast accent very well. Yeah. He does great. Summer between the Bronx and New Jersey. <laughs> so, a very specific <laughs> midpoint, right? 
Um, and uh, let's see. The only other thing that I wanted to say is uh, before we move on to our kernel here is uh, we didn't mention this last time, but uh, because we only had such a tiny bit of Agent Carter, she was first named in Captain America number 162 from June 1973, created by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. And some of the other people considered for the role, uh, Gemma Arterton, Emily Blunt, Alexa Davalos, Alice Eve, Kira Knightley, and Rosamund Pike. An interesting lineup. I could see. Man, I, a lot I am of here them. for Emily Blunt as Agent Carter. Man, she would be great. She would. But be great. Haley Atwell does such a fantastic job in this role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's she's become like the character, and I think that's just because they wrote this this relationship as it grows over time so mm-hmm. well. Like by the time we get to Endgame, we have that last moment with them, that dance. Mm-hmm. It's just like I am in love with them as a couple. Like it's just yes. it's perfect, you know. And it it's really starts here because yeah. after Peggy socks Hodge in the jaw, everyone else in the line is like, "Oh my gosh, look at that guy who's just eating dirt," and Steve is amused. He is quietly laughing right. at this. And and without any malice, there's no sense of, oh, that guy got what, co- what was coming to him. But it's just like, oh, wow, that, was, that was pretty impressive. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. He's impressed, but also delighting in the scene in front of him. And you, that's that first hint of a personal connection between these two characters that Steve sees peggy in a different light than these other soldiers do well and we're going to see a lot of those little moments between the two of them like they're not always noticing each other noticing but they're certainly noticing the other and like there are a lot of those little moments and it's great i was just thinking i I, it hasn't been that long since i've watched the whole movie not minute by minute but i was just trying to think do do you buy the fact that without the super soldier transformation they would have ended up hooking up over the course of a lifetime i know or or would he have been friend zoned you know (laughs) i i know it's it's not uh, according to the movies by minutes covenant but in the in the taxi scene as they're going to the the secret lab when he's looking at his neighborhood and the yeah i think i think there's some legitimate chemistry there because okay. she does she does not give a friend zone response to his line about waiting for the perfect partner there's a genuine warmth there now there's a question about how much of that is pitying as kind of the the source of the the warmth and affection and, and how much of it is seeing him as equal and as partner uh so yeah there's there's definitely some uh the relationship changes quite drastically after the super serum yeah. is administered but i i think there's a legit basis that's built up over this week and especially as we get to the end of this week i think there's a big moment that that points to the real live possibility of this relationship but also that little dialogue scene to set things up yeah, yeah. okay well i stand ready yeah <laughs> ready it's for our, well, fireworks we will definitely kind of continue this conversation between now and the the transformation just to see. So by the time he's stepping into it, like if, if all of a sudden like the machine breaks, we need to ha- follow up on this conversation and say, OK, if they leave, are they going to is that is that when they first hook up? So we will follow up on this yeah. conversation. Pete. Mm-hmm. All right. All That's right. important. All right. I need to know that the little guy had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> <The little> guy. <laughs> Pete, you are good enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just, I just want to name that. I just want to put that out there oh, right now. God, I need, didn't know how much I he, needed to hear he that. He needed that. He's been waiting <laughs> since season one to hear that. <laughs> okay. Well, at this point, let's start talking about Colonel Chester Phillips. Uh, yes. Colonel Chester Phillips, Tommy Lee Jones. Before we dig into him, I want to do the IMDb game with dear old Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, the this two is of a you, curse of riches situation oh, right now. You are telling me because, I mean, Man, he's no an kidding. actor. He is a director. I, well, I will say the four films that he is known for on his IMDb are all films. Uh, oh, well, no, they're all films he's acted in. One that he's also directed. Um, what would you say no. are the four films that IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, says through its crazy algorithm are the hmm. films that Tommy Lee Jones is known for the only well, one as, as a native uh, as a native of chicago i gotta go with the fugitive that was my number one pick for sure for okay. sure because uh, he has great just g-man swagger which comes through in this role um and on that note do i want to say men in black uh i don't know it's just i don't know how much imdb likes genre fiction when you have someone with as much of a filmography as Tommy Lee Jones. But it was so big. It was. All right, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm go Men in Black. And then I just, I don't know what else to pick from. Because you said they're all films, right? They're all films. They're all, uh, oh, yeah. Gosh, because I was going to say Lonesome Dove, but that's not a film. Are they, are they all live action, Andy? Yes. Yes. Grr, small soldiers, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> I would love I would love small soldiers to be on this list. That would be, that would be amazing. That would be so like, great. Um, and what about what about Two Face? What about Batman? Batman Forever. That was <laughs> uh, he is in that. I, I don't think I have he is like in that. that. Movie very I don't much. know. <laughs> There's another really big film that you neither of you have mentioned. Space Cowboys. Best Picture winner. Best Picture. Best winner. Picture winner. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Um, what was Tommy Lee Jones? He's, he in, may not be the person picture. that you primarily think about it. You you likely are going to think of the villain of the film more than the other two leads. But he is definitely, uh, you could say he's part of the title. <laughs> um, 2007, if that helps. Oh, oh, uh, wait, ouch. Um, what, oh, what is it? Uh, 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 no Country for Old Men. There it is. Oh, that, that's going to wow. be my guess. Wow. <laughs> that, I feel regret. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Country. Excellent. I, I should have I kept going with the uh, put-upon lawman angle that I had going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what? A, oh, man, that changes. That sends the game in a whole new direction. Well, I will. T I will tell you at this point. You have two: the oh, fugitive two, two and four. no country. Okay, fugitive. Oh, okay. Well, wasn't Men in Black? Men in Black is not on there because Men in Black Three is the one that's on the list, right? No, okay, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, can Can you give? I I like this when you give us a year. Can you give me a, another year? Um, two thousand. Uh, let's go with two thousand twelve. We'll start there. This is another Best Picture nominee, but it didn't win. In fact, both of these last two are period pieces. Oh, wait, didn't Men in Black 3 come out in 2012? I think it did. But uh, it's not, right. not nominated it, it for Best it Picture. <laughs> David, real talk. We this have to what... let go of Men in Black. Okay, all right. I'm letting it. It's, you know, it's, it's a professional, you know, bias thing. Men in Black, Priest, you know. All right, but I'm not just letting that go. That's right. Letting it go. But this all is right, one 20... of four films that he did in 2012. 
One of the it's, it's the one that was nominated for Best Picture, period piece. Oh, oh, um, oh, <gasps> uh, Team of Rivals. Lincoln. Um, yes. Lincoln. It is Lincoln. I'm going to go plays, with Lincoln. It is Lincoln. He plays Thaddeus Stevens. Okay. Oh, wow. Right. The last one is a tricky one because a lot of people probably forgot about this film. It was 2014. It is one of the oh. two films that he directed. And uh, this is the second of the two. The first one, uh, Three Barrels of Melchiades Estrada, was in 2005. Uh, I was just going to say that one. So you're saying it didn't. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> it didn't not win. that film. Which I would love to see it on there because I love the film. No, can you 20? give me just just give me some other people that that are in this one because clearly I don't have it. Hillary Swank is in it. Hillary Swank and Grace Gummer. Oh, Grace the, Gummer. Um, yeah, Miranda Otto. Um, I didn't see it, so I, yeah. I know I I can picture it. Like I can picture his sepia like face, right? Yeah, and he has he has does he have an anchor? Andy? Uh, he, no, he, he has the full, a... he has the full, he, in fact, he's got so much hair. He's got mutton chops. Beard? No, he's got, mutton he's chops. got way more. This is, okay, I'll tell you. Mutton chops. I, I'll just tell you, it's it's the tell film me. The Homesman. Yeah. Three women who have been driven mad by pioneer life are to be transported across the country by covered wagon by the pious, independently minded Mary B. Cuddy, who in turn employs low-life drifter George Briggs to assist her. So, uh, Hillary Swank, I love Fury Tommy Road. Lee Jones. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the Holmesman. Those are the four films that IMDb says he is known for. It's always a surprise to see what IMDb yeah. throws in here with so many films that he's done. You know, he has worked with such a variety of directors. Clint uh, Eastwood, he's worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's worked with Robert Altman. Um, just, you know, I mean, all the way back into the 70s. So he's got a lot of choices. But those are the four. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. But, so now let's talk about the, the colonel. Uh, it's interesting. In the comics, he was a general. And they he, was, he wasn't he was named initially, but he was right away involved in Operation Rebirth. Eventually, mm. he is given his name. And at some point, he's actually, they give him the, the first name Chester, although later they say it's Richard. Officially, though, they have now said his name is Chester Richard. So there you go. Colonel Chester, Chester Richard, Richard. All Chester one Richard. word. Oh, I was just going to say Chester Richard. Is that a hyphen? Chester Richard. Chester Richard. Oh, it's a, it's a riches, a name of riches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what I, what I love about, we, you know, this fantastic Tommy Lee Jones, we just love him as the colonel. Oh, he's great in this role. He's, he's perfect great in this role. But he, I, I want to track this because right now he really doesn't seem to care for Hodge. And I want to make sure we're tracking that because we're going to have a totally different perspective in a few minutes. Well, he does. Well, he he is doing the drill sergeant thing where he is clearly dismissive of all of them because his agent just punched one of the candidates in the face. And he said, (laughs) yeah, that's good. Good. Do that. So it's making it really clear that this is the kind of abuse that you can expect. And I, as the commanding officer, am on board with it. Yes, I'm here for every bite of it. It's good Um, stuff. And I, I love the shift from general to colonel because as someone who has also seen a lot of movies about the military, um, <laughs> colonel suggests to me like someone who is high enough rank to be in charge, but not so high as to get to meet with the president. So it's a nice like middle management rank in my mind, like, oh, I need to take this guy seriously, but I don't need to worry about them making a weird general decision, like a high level command kind of decision. There's someone above Colonel Phillips that our heroes can appeal to. What I love about that, that particular angle is that 
clearly Colonel Phillips is still a colonel and still at Camp Lehigh because he's a guy who like has made some mistakes. Like, you know, he's just he's there. Like if we were following the Phillips movie, we would see that, you know, maybe he punched a general once out of rage and wasn't able to really recover his career. So it's interesting you go that direction instead of like the Top Gun Maverick direction where it's like, no, 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 I don't want that promotion. I want to stay. I think that's giving him too much credit, (laughs) too much superhero credit. (laughs) Maverick is a superhero. Now, on on that question of rank, I, I did have a question about the rank structure of the SSR because... Carter introduces herself as Agent Carter. We're like, okay, agent, that puts me in the mind of FBI and a kind of civilian kind of system where you have people who are doing things and, you know, it's not really a military organization. But then we have Colonel, and it's easy to miss in the minute, but Peggy salutes the Colonel as he comes in. Mm -hmm. And as a civilian, I am not obligated to salute military personnel. In fact, it, it would be weird if I did because I don't answer to them, even if they are military personnel. So clearly there's some kind of military hierarchy here. And so I'm, I'm just wondering what Agent Carter's, uh, you know, promotion path or, you know, career advancement might look like. Would, would, does, is Colonel Carter in the cards for her if she sticks with the SSR? Because we know she gets to director eventually, but like, is there some kind of military substrata inside the SSR? And is director, does she end up taking like a civilian or government non-military position? Because that's what it starts to feel like a little bit. Yeah, that's that's actually very interesting. And it also, it does make me wonder, like in context of militaries from different countries working together, because in this case, as we will find out, you know, we have England working together with the U.S. in the context of what's going on here. It's like... Are they saluting each other and do they all call each other the same things? I know you've got, you know, I I think lieutenant is basically the same as like, you know, they're always saying lieutenant over there. (laughs) But I'm assuming it's really the same role. But it does make me wonder, like, is there slight differences and, you know, how does that work? Um, It looks, yeah, I I don't know if Peggy, um, I, I know that she actually started by joining the French resistance and uh in the oh. comics i'm not exactly sure uh like what her line of uh of work was within to kind of end up becoming an agent and in this position where she was um working yeah, in this, I, in this I, capacity because yeah. it requires a lot of comfort around um military discipline but also uh good level of scientific knowledge, but also just kind of FBI field agent capabilities, able to run down investigations, physical fitness, uh, handling criminals uh, that we see in the Agent Carter series. It's it's much more of a FBI CIA kind of feel than it is a military operation. Kind of more James Bond than, uh, than Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And even like in the, in the, uh, CIA, like the spy places, you know, the MI6, where you have these agents, like when I think about it, they're not necessarily, I mean, they obviously need to be showing respect to their superiors, but they're rarely like saluting. And again, my movie knowledge, I'm going into like James Bond territory now. <laughs> I mean, sure, he, he shows M plenty of respect, but also I don't recall him really ever coming in and actually saluting him, you know, mm-hmm. no, yeah. or her, depending on which M. And yet he's still got to wear like bars and, you know, all the confetti on his chest. 
I, I'm very curious. I'll have to do more digging on on Carter over the season and see if I can come up with more information, or maybe some of our guests later will have some more background for her. But that is interesting because they are obviously working together. But you're right; she does salute him, and that could also just be something that she does. Do you think just? for the men, like to, for the soldiers to say, we're working together and here's the person that you're all needing to salute now? There's not a lot about Peggy Carter that is performative. That's true. That is true. She she does yeah. what is expected of her because it is the right thing to do. She's not putting on a show for anybody. Right. Right, right, right. As Colonel Phillips steps up, he has a line from General Patton, wars are fought with weapons, but they're won by men. It's actually something that apparently Patton wrote in what they have called his cavalry journal from September Mm -hmm. 1933. The full quote, new weapons are useful in that they add to the repertoire of killing, but be they tank or tomahawk, weapons are only weapons after all. Wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. It is the spirit of the men who follow and of the man who leads that gains the victory interesting little quote from general Patton, who had plenty of interesting quotes interesting little quotes <laughs> yes yeah i'll say but I'm, I'm andy i'm so glad you gave the full quote because that that line of patents about spirit is really important because that's a, a theme that we're going to see over these coming minutes over this week that there is something almost undefinable that this program is looking for they're looking for spirit uh Colonel Phillips will say something about guts later on, but there, there's something beyond the physical, and that's what Patton is trying to get at. There, yes, there's the the machinery of war, there's the the tools of the trade, but it's something almost spiritual, something that goes beyond the merely physical that explains how one side is able to prevail over the other. It's a, it's a really interesting line, and I, I think that's right. It, it, it is about kind of the spirit of the men and the leader. And I think there's yes. a lot more to what this line, what this whole thing has to say about kind of all of this. Now, I mean, it's designed in the script very much to have this really great moment from Colonel Phillips. Tommy Lee Jones is perfect because you have that line. And then he immediately pulls out of the quote and he says, we're going to win this war because we have the best. And then he sees Steve... <laughs> and kind of just stumbles the word men because he's looking at this scrawny little guy. It is one of the funniest deliveries, and Tommy Lee Jones is so perfect at it. Um, But, I mean, yes, it's designed, it's here because of that. But I do Mm -hmm. find that that full quote is actually really interesting in context of this, especially because what Captain America will come to represent. And as this spirit of not necessarily like the government and the war machine, but really like the idea of what it means and everything. Mm -hmm. And he really does end up becoming that leader. And I I think it's a really interesting uh, kind of just quote to look at. Goes right back to strength, what we were talking about with strength, because Tommy Lee Jones now is talking about the strength of not just a man to overcome, but of men to overcome adversity. And here he is looking at all of the different ways strength is portrayed in Mm -hmm. the military. And and it is the central question of the next 10 minutes. But what a great line read. Yep. It's just that perfect beat in between (laughs) that line and the editing. And and because they'll get better. Right. <laughs> yeah. There so many gl- great glances yeah. here because he looks at Steve there and then he looks at Erskine and Erskine kind of looks away. And then then after uh, <laughs> Phillips walks away, Steve does that little glance at him. It's like all these little looks. It's like, God, it's mm-hmm. perfect the way that this whole thing was crafted. I just love it. It's what's good about Marvel movies is they have these little moments of characterization 
that allow you to get a sense for these individuals in a very short amount of time because this this movie has a job to do this movie has to explain captain america's origins we have to get him ready for the avengers because now we know that is coming now we have an end goal so we have a story that we need to get through but in the telling of the story and recognizing there's a lot we have to do in order to get this character where we need him to do be for the larger meta narrative still we want to do justice to the story we have here and so colonel phillips does not become merely a caricature, although he is he's a broad archetype of a character. There's not a lot of depth to yeah. Colonel Phillips, but he is not a complete cardboard cutout either. He is someone that we we see the hesitancy, we see the doubt in him. And we also see that Steve is he's not a dummy. He knows that he is behind the eight ball in more ways than one. And he knows that the colonel is referring to him. Steve is, is is sensitive enough to his own uh, state of being, <laughs> and he's like, okay, this is a guy I got to keep an eye on. This this is the guy that I have to to deal with. Well, and another key thing about Phillips is, and, and uh, you know, Pete, you and I talked about this uh, in, in our first week of minutes when we were talking about kind of our initial reactions to Captain America when we first saw it and how I really struggled with it because I'm like, well, this guy just never changes. He's always great. He's always this character. And he just trucks through the whole film. And it kind of is it's a bore because we're just watching him, you know, just, you know, he's great as Steve and then he becomes Captain America and he's great. What I was missing, though, is that it's really like this character right here. This is our change character. This is the character whose mind, Steve Rogers, mm -hmm. is going to change over the film. Mm -hmm. And the person who doesn't buy into this whole thing, who is will slowly start seeing that there is possibility and that there is a chance that this person could be that voice. And again, to that quote, this is the person who has that spirit that men mm -hmm. will follow to gain the victory. And so uh, I, I really enjoy the way that this character is set up here because right now we're, we're getting exactly where he is in the film. He sees Steve. He rolls his eyes. He's just like, I can't believe it. Like, it's, it's just perfect. It's a great yeah. setup for where this character is going to go. Well, and that's a that's a great point and a great callback to that earlier conversation that the reason this movie is different. And the reason this character is different is because he is the stalwart staple and the journey is not his of change. It's the journey of that which he changes around him and the, that we have these two characters right here reflecting off of him that here's agent. Here's agent. Here's Peggy Carter, who is reflecting her joy at being in his space. Right. You can already you, you start to see her find an affinity for the little guy and you see uh, the colonel here who who resents him for his size and his lack of stereotypical soldiery uh those are two pivot characters to watch and i think that's uh you know in terms of how steve is able to change them over time awesome that's great stuff um he does kind of continue his monologue here and we kind of kick off this uh you know what we'll see as this montage this training montage, montage. Yes. <laughs> let's get ready for our montage uh as uh we that we cut into the uh we're in the barracks now we're in the the i guess it's the tent i'm not exactly sure it looks like in the background there are these uh i don't know these these what would you call those things it's just like a a, a curved you know thing that the soldiers live in uh, that it just looks like very easy to kind of move and set up and stuff. I'm not sure. I think, I think it's just things. a Quonset hut. I think it's just typical yeah. uh, army barracks, very 
no no frills housing setup super basic yeah um but but uh we see uh some books getting unpacked we see a couple of the books the machinery of war and heroes of the eastern front there's some playing cards there might i don't know it might be soap we don't know whose it is but we see something getting unpacked and that's kind of where the minute ends we'll talk more about all this uh tomorrow um do either of you have any little bits about this otherwise i want to jump into the christ in the cape uh with you and give you the floor father oh well thank you very much uh the only thing uh i have is is cheating a little bit because we know whose trunk it is but sure. you know given given the competitive nature of this whole setup the, the deck of cards strikes me as being a little optimistic because i don't know how many how many people are going to want to play a friendly game of cards with anyone in this barracks if there is going to be this kind of competition to see who the best candidate is going to be it could it could make for more aggressive card playing i guess maybe <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, any last thoughts of this of this bit? All I can think of right now is, what if the part of Tommy Lee Jones was actually played by Wilson Phillips? And this was all a musical. <laughs> we'll, we'll be able to talk about Captain America and musicals later in the film. So don't you worry. Don't you worry. Mm. All right, uh, Father Mowry, we will give you the floor. Well, thank you very much. So uh, before in the green room, uh, Andy asked, like, oh, Father, did you have Christ and the Cape uh, prepared? Like, oh, do I have Christ and the Cape prepared? <laughs> Who do you take me for? Of course. So in uh, in Captain America, what I want to start with is the and Christ the Cape is just a little segment because as as a Catholic priest, whenever I watch a movie, I'm always attentive to the theological themes that are going on in it. And superhero movies are really fascinating because they present these questions about confronting evil and salvation and hero figures. And I I believe very strongly that the whole Western idea of the superhero is haunted by the Christ myth in the background as one of the prototypes for understanding this kind of uh, savior story. And so let, let's start with Christology, that kind of theology of the person of Jesus Christ. So first, we mentioned a little bit of it already, kind of this idea of the perfect hero. We've been accustomed to stories, especially in the last century or so, of flawed heroes, of people who have uh, something really debilitating. And a lot of the stories uh, that we've done in movie making have centered around these flawed figures. And part of that is a reaction to this idea of the perfect hero, the of the kind of um, you know chivalrous knight coming from medieval romances and going all the way back to Jesus himself. Jesus is presented as the one who is without sin. There are no flaws in the person of Jesus, and even in especially in the very high uh, presentation of the person of Jesus in the Gospel of John, he's fully in control of the story. So then, where is the drama? Where is the tension? It comes in the response to the hero. So if this hero presents himself in this way, how do people respond to that? How are others changed by that? And we see that in Steve Rogers. It can be, this is one of the reasons why, in my opinion, there hasn't been a good Superman movie in the last 20 years or so, because Superman has the same problem as Captain America. He's kind of always right, kind of always has <laughs> to be the perfect person. And it's hard to create uh 
a lot of characters who are are deep enough to react to the hero around him. It's much easier to create one deep character and tell one character's story. It's hard to create a whole cast of deep characters and the responses to it. But Captain America does a good job of building out this ensemble of characters around Captain America with Peggy, with the Colonel, and with Bucky. And we see these people react and respond and change in response to Steve doing the right thing and being forthright. The other thing about Captain America that's interesting is that it presents a um, a particular way of thinking about savior figures that uh, turned out to be not such a great way of understanding the person of Jesus. So Steve Rogers and Captain America re- represent what's what's kind of known as an adoptionist Christology, which is this idea way, way, way back early, early in the history of the church, there was this idea that, well, Jesus started off as a good man. He started off as someone who was already morally virtuous, who did everything right. And then he was rewarded by God and became the Savior. He was given the Holy Spirit. He was he was made the Christ because he was already good. And you can see that idea in Steve. Steve is already a good man and receiving the super serum just enhances him, makes him more of what he already was. Uh, and the the unfortunate tendency for this is that it it kind of cuts out any possibility for conversion, that in order for me as a human being to kind of get God's grace or get God's love, I already have to be good. But I already know I'm not such a great person. I already know I got a lot of flaws, which is why we've been telling stories about flawed characters for years and years, because we don't really buy into that perfect person, because we all know we all have difficulties. Um so what we have in in Captain America is this kind of adoptionist idea that goodness is made into greatness. And it happens, of course, uh, not through the grace of God, not through the descent of the Holy Spirit, but through our old friend technology. Yes, he's a tech anointed <laughs> savior, but there are no metal suits here. This is all biotech. We have serum and vita rays and all kinds of mad science, which is just delightful. Uh, and what what happens here, though, with uh Steve Rogers that doesn't happen with Tony Stark. Tony Stark goes through an outside-in transformation. He puts on the suit, and that identity of Iron Man eventually seeps into the core of his being, which leads up to the pinnacle of his character development in Endgame. With Steve Rogers, it's an inside-out transformation. He already has strength. He already has goodness within him. The serum and the Vita rays just make manifest what's already present inside of him. And that that creates an unfortunate kind of image where the movie kind of sets up this idea that it's not enough to be good. You have to be good and strong in order to be a hero. And Steve is already a hero. He's already willing to stand up for what's right. But, you know, he's a weakling. He has asthma. He has a history of uh, prior conditions from his family. And so, yeah, it's all well and good for him to tell the bully uh, in the movie theater to shut up. But if he can't put his money where his mouth is, there's this, this just subtle theme in the story of the movie that, well, you know, this this isn't ideal. This isn't the way things need to be. You need strength to pay back up the virtue. And as a Catholic priest, I'm not in for that because I tell the story every Sunday of God who went to death, who was crucified, who embraced weakness, and that 
goodness of God, that love of God was made perfect in weakness. There wasn't a necessary show of strength, but rather a full acceptance of everything evil that the world had to offer. And so it just it raises some questions for me about Steve's character. The movie hints at this in some of the early scenes where Bucky has that line about, does Steve have something to prove? And we never quite come back to that in the movie. The movie just kind of drops like, no, he's Captain America now. Everything's great. <laughs> and there's no sense of wrestling. We never see Steve get a big head, which is fine with me. I don't really like that storyline in movies, but there is the sense like, okay, there's no temptation for Steve. There's no sense of entitlement that he really struggles with. And so then it, it depends upon the strength of those characters around him to really sell the, the moral goodness of it. So this this idea of the savior as one who changes the people around him is great. I love that. The idea that the savior has to be given a power in order to have the goodness be efficacious, though. Mm, I mean, that that goes back to what I've said before. Like, I just, you know, face punching is the way to save the day. It's just, you know, there's only so much <laughs> of that I can take. <laughs> In the face, you know, specifically, because that's the money maker. Specifically the face. Well, you know, Captain America issue number one, he's punching Hitler in the face. In the face. Right, right. right out of the gate. <laughs> and, and this week's Christ the Cave is all the reasons that he'll never hook up with Peggy Carter until his legs are the size of tree trunks. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have imagined that it would take a Catholic priest to actually make that case. But I feel vindicated. <laughs> You know, I, I think that's an argument you can make. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, that, and part part of that is uh, the the valorization of romantic love as yes. the the only kind of love that you can have in a film. And Christ-like love is a self-sacrificial agape kind of love. And even in this movie where there is a self-sacrifice, it's presented to us in romantic terms that the sacrifice being made is the, the, the sacrifice of a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship. It is There's no sense of a higher transcendence or purpose behind that. However noble Steve Rogers' act is, it's framed for us inside a relationship with Peggy Carter. Right. Well, and to this point, Andy, uh, have your intern make a note. We need to have more of this conversation back when we get to the point of uh, of reflecting on Bucky and Steve's relationship, because that's really where so much of this discussion of sacrifice happens to me in this mm. movie, which is their relationship of love and admiration for each other uh, as peers. And mm -hmm. how do they change one another? And what is the loss that they go through when we lose in the context of this movie? All that we know is we've just lost Bucky. And so right, 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 I, I think right. that's really interesting. Wow. If anything, this uh, the conversation today has opened up doors for so many conversations in future episodes. We're going to have to make sure we uh, track all of that so that we can have those conversations because there will be a lot of interesting things to talk about. Right. Our, our intern is busy taking busy. so many notes. Our, our, our actually intern's too busy <laughs> passing out uh, living will and testaments to everyone. Right. <laughs> Yeah, how how many next of kin do I need to put down <laughs> right, on this form? Right, right exactly. Uh, well, that is it uh, for today's minute. Unless either of you have any last thoughts or Goodness, any comments, no. yeah, it's been a, it's been a long one. Lots of good stuff, though. Lots of good stuff. Um, all right. Well, uh, Father David, remind everyone where they can find more of you and uh, the shows you've been on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You can find me at my website, fatherdavidmowry.com. I have a section there where I've 
put together links to all the various Movies by Minutes podcasts that I've been a part of. Uh, if you, for whatever reason, if you missed last season of the Marvel Movie Minute, I was on for a week talking about Thor. And if, if you would guess that, well, maybe a movie about a Norse god might prompt some discussions like Christ in the Cape. Oh, you have no idea. So go ahead and check out those minutes if you're interested in, in that level of theological discourse about pagan space Vikings. Well, and death and resurrection. Very oh, fitting. Oh, just, just a little, just a little bit of death <laughs> and resurrection. Yeah. yeah. Just a so bit. Uh, it was a fantastic week. Definitely check it out, everybody. Um, and that's it for today. So we will be back tomorrow to continue our montage. Pete, thanks as always. And you, Andy. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. <laughs> Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>